Yes, yes, yes. Guys, welcome again to another episode of Fire Builders Live. My name is Josh Corporal, and like always, I'm streaming live from Key West from the porch. Today, we have a very special guest back on the show, Todd Churches. Todd, welcome to Fire Builders Live. Thanks, Josh. The fact that you had me back must say something. So uh, it was good. Let's go for round two. We're going for round two, man. And uh, I'm super excited. I think what our topic that we're going to be talking about today is important, not just for not just for people that are managers that uh, you know are in some type of company setting where they have to manage people, but also just in general, in life, people leading their own lives. We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, let me tell everybody what it is that we do. What kind of crazy circus are we running around here? Firebuilders Live. What we do, we bring on amazing guests six days a week, six different people, Monday through Saturday, and we take these big ideas, these big goals, and we break them down into small steps, things that you can focus on and things that you can do consistently every day to improve, right? These little micro steps, these little micro actions, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. I am super excited to have Todd back on the show. Why? Well, listen to this this is what this guy has been doing right now. He is the CEO and the co-founder of Big Blue Gumball, which is a New York City-based leadership and executive coaching firm. He's also just on, happens to be an award-winning adjunct professor, professor of leadership at both NYU and Columbia. He is the author of the new exciting book, Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and Life. There it is, huh. right? The man has been known for his outside-the-box thinking when it comes to leadership. And I'll tell you, I know you all agree with me, 2020 is pretty much as outside-of-the-box as you can get these days. We're going to be talking about how to manage and lead not just people, remote workers, things like that, but also yourself in an environment where everything is global, right? The expectations are hazy, right? And the rules have essentially changed. And that, my friends is why I'm so excited to have Todd on the show. Todd, welcome again to Fire Builders Live. Thanks so much, Josh. I wish I was there with you in person, because in New York, we're gearing up for a nor'easter blizzard of 2020, and uh, we're all hunkering down here, stocking up on supplies, because we're expecting 12 to 18 inches of snow. So I wish I was sitting on the porch with you and Elvis, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we're doing the best we can from a distance. I escaped that, man. I, yeah. uh, I couldn't do it. You know, I lived in New York for the last, like, four years or so on the water, yeah. you know? And, uh, and man, I, I couldn't do it. So I feel for you, dude. Yeah, I feel for yeah. you. Well, I tell you, so you're in New York, normally you're in Connecticut, but now you're in New York hunkering down for this nor'easter. Tell a little, tell everybody listening at home a little bit about what the typical day is like now in Todd's world. Sure, sure. What's funny is we're from Manhattan, Upper East Side, 89th in York. Um, so we actually went out to Connecticut to hunker down out there to get away from the pandemic. And we figured, oh, it'll be like a few weeks. And it's like 10 months later and we're still out there. But now we escape back from Connecticut to New York to get out of, out of the snowstorm because Connecticut tends to, in big blizzards, lose our Wi-Fi, lose our internet. And I have a bunch of podcasts and meetings coming up, so can't afford to do that. So we packed up the car and our, loop, our new puppy, Lucy, and uh, came into Manhattan. She's never been to Manhattan before, so she's looking up at the big buildings. and freaking she's out. Oriented. Yeah, she's freaking out a little bit. But uh, Is, is we Lucy need to- going to make an appearance today? Uh, maybe if my wife brings her back here, but happy to. Maybe <laughs> towards the end, we'll give her a special, uh, we'll, we'll start. She's really cute. But we're, I think we're all disoriented right now. We're all fishes out of water. Um, our routines are disrupted. You know, talk, we're going to talk about managing and leading. I've been teaching my NYU and my Columbia class online. So we really need to be adaptable, flexible. Um, and uh, I'm not big on adaptability and flexibility. I'm very like structured, rigid. So for me, this is completely out of my comfort zone. So but uh, we're all trying to figure it out day by day as we go along. Well, so I, I'm glad that you mentioned the NYU and the Columbia, like the teaching, doing it virtually, because now, like even schools like that, big schools like that, you're teaching exclusively on Zoom. Like talk a little bit about how that's changed. What do you have to do these days to keep people engaged? Yeah, last semester back in uh, spring of 2020, I was going along with my 14-session class at NYU and then my Columbia class as well. Um, and literally after seven sessions it was like boom we're going online starting tomorrow i'm like i didn't even know how to use zoom i didn't i didn't ha- you know i'm not a technology person so it was, it was a big adjustment for me but the key thing was i said we need to figure out a way to replicate the in-person experience online 
So um, one of the things I talk about is my three Vs, visibility, voice, and value. Are you seen and how are you seen? Are you heard and how are you heard? And are you making a contribution? And in order to do that, we need to have our cameras on, mics on, and have a free-flowing conversation. Some professors are struggling with their students. They have their cameras off and their mics off, and they could be watching the Netflix movie, and you have no idea, right? So in my classes, you need to hook people. So one of the things I say is the success of a class is one-third the content, one-third my teaching, and one-third their contributions. And if they're not contributing and participating, they're only getting two-thirds of the value. And they're paying a lot of money to go to these schools, right? So why not get the most out of it? So that's what we're trying to do is shift people's mindset to say, hey, you know, I need to be front and center. I need to be seen and heard and be a part of this and, and make it as good ex- an experience as possible. Well, how do you, do you encourage them with their, so they have their videos on that I can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, their mics though, can they just speak up at any time? Like, or is it, is it still lecture format where you just talk and then ask if there's questions or is it more like, yeah, how does it work? No, my I, one of the things I my, one of my roles with NYU, in addition to teaching my class, I do faculty development. So I teach other instructors how to teach, and there is no lecture in my classes. It's literally my five minute rule is that within the first five minutes of my class, the students are actively doing something. Either what are the highlights from last session? What did you learn? What do you see? There's leadership lessons hiding in plain sight in the outside world, even if you just flipping TV channels or flipping through Facebook or LinkedIn. It's all interactive, engaging, sharing participation. So right, no one's listening to me talk for three hours at a time. And my 20 minute rule is never more than 20 minutes before there's some kind of variation, either some music, some video, uh, breakout room. And I've, I've had, to, I've done a few breakout tricks this semester, and I'm happy to reveal one of them today, if you like. Let's hear it. All right. Let's hear it. Well, one of the ex- exercises in my class, because it's leadership and team building for HR professionals. So I, I do a puzzle exercise in person, and there's a little twist to that exercise. And I'm like, how do I replicate that experience online when my students are sitting in their dorm rooms or in their apartments? So I put them in the breakout rooms. They had to come up with a toy design for, for the holiday season. Um, so they had 10 minutes to actually I'm all about visual thinking. So they actually had to draw out a schematic sketch of this toy. Five minutes into the 10-minute exercise, I went into uh, to Zoom breakouts, and I plucked one person from each room, and I threw them into another room. So it's like I Dream a Genie. It was like, blink, where'd so-and-so go? Um, so <laughs> what happens? You're working on a project. What happens when your team leader is plucked out of your group, and you're like, you have no idea where they went, and all of a sudden, some new person pops in, right? What is, it always the, is it always the team leader or is it just somebody random that's in the group? I'm saying it could be anyone in the group, but I intentionally plucked out the person who I thought might be the team leader in each group. And yep. that way, so they show up in a new team. So teams go through different stages of development, what's called the Tuckman model of forming, storming, norming, and performing, right? You come together, you go through some chaos and confusion, you figure it out, you normalize, and then you become a high-performing team. When you pluck someone out, when you either add someone to a team or remove someone from a team, you're thrust back into the forming stage and you need to get built back up to the top again. So this kind of replicated the real world experience. And a couple of students were really upset. They were like, I was rolling. I had this whole thing going on. We were about to do my design. I was telling them and all of a sudden I just disappeared from the group and I was thrown into some group with some people who I didn't even know what they were doing. So that replicated real life, right? How, how often are we thrown into a new team pulled out of a team by our boss or moved to another location. So it was great. So even though a few people got a little upset, um, you know, experiential learning, they're never going to forget that exercise. Exactly. You're teaching life lessons yes. here, you know? It's like the, the cruelty of the real world. You better <laughs> get, get yeah. used to it now. Yeah. Yeah. But the key is you have to create psychological safety and trust. So they, they were upset, but not really, because they trusted me. And one of the things that we say, and I co-teach my class with Jeff Schwartzman, a good friend and, and colleague, um, everything we do has a purpose. So we're never going to do anything. So you have to just trust us that there's a reason, a purpose, behind everything. So they do. And once you establish that, then they're willing to roll with the punches. So just like that, similarly, and as a leader, you need to build that trust and psychological safety in your team so that people trust you so they don't feel suspicious and and take things personally. They know that there's a good reason behind it. And then you have to, as a leader, be willing to pull back the curtain and reveal what that is. And that builds people's trust and confidence in you going forward. Well, yeah, I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because that's what I was going to say. I feel like you as a teacher, as a professor, you know, there's an immense overlap between the things that you are doing, managing and leading all of your students and people that are now managing and leading remote teams and folks that they actually don't see physically, right, on a daily basis like they used to. There's, I would imagine, a massive amount of overlap in that. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, everything we do in our class, one of the things I say to my students is we want to take the outside world that you're living in, bring it into our classroom. Let's dissect it and explore it. Um, my friend Aisha Bursell, who wrote an amazing book, a fun book called uh, Design the Life You Love, she calls it deconstruction reconstruction. You want to break it apart, look at it with fresh eyes, and then put it back together again in a better way. So I say to my students, bring your outside world issues and challenges into the classroom. Let's talk about it. Then take that learning back out into the real world and come back the next week and let's report back on how it went. So over 14 sessions, you really see people transform and, you know, not everything's going to work. Sometimes just things take a few times. Sometimes things just don't apply to you. But, you know, we, we learn through doing. That's a book of, uh, I have a great book by Eleanor Roosevelt who said, you learn by living. And um, one of her quotes is, uh, learn from the mistakes of others. Life's too short to make them all ourselves. So I'm very big on sharing my own mistakes. And I tell on the final session of my course, I tell my students my career story. I tell about the two times I was fired, the three times I was laid off. And because they think, oh, your professor, he was on some, you know, career path that led to this. And it was, I say, it's not a career path. It was a career roller coaster with, up, with ups and downs, twists and turns, exhilarating highs and terrifying plummets. So um, I think we need to be vulnerable and share our own stories and let other people learn from them. Well, yeah, I do too. I, I, and I'm curious actually how you feel like that Eleanor Roosevelt quote, because I've heard that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, life is too short to make all of your own mistakes. Yeah. But I personally believe, I personally believe that the greatest lessons that you could ever learn, you always have to learn them yourself. It's yeah. really hard for people to, uh, you know, to, they'll acknowledge the fact that yes, they should do this or, you know, they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't do that. But, but a lot of times, in my experience, like they just, people have to make those yeah, mistakes yeah. on their own in order for it to really sink in. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's very hard. Whether you're a boss or you're a parent, right? Or you're training a puppy, you need to kind of, you need to be there to guide them so they don't go too far off the rails, but you want to share the wisdom of your experience. And that's why I do a lot of work around leadership storytelling. That's why stories are so effective. If you say to someone, do these 10 things and don't do these 10 things, they may or may not hear you. But if you say to someone, Josh, when I had your job, Five years ago, when I first started, let me tell you about the biggest mistake I ever made. When I tell you that, one, I'm sharing the wisdom of my experience so you don't replicate it. And two, you're not going to forget it because it's a story. I didn't just tell you, don't ever do this and walk away like I'm perfect. I told you I really screwed up or I got fired from a job once because I did this. I made this bonehead mistake. So, but again, yeah, you want to set people up for success. That might, I mentioned Jeff Schwartzman. That's his biggest mantra is that my job as a teacher or as a boss is to set you up for success. And I always talk about R and R. That's not um, rest and relaxation, although that comes later. R&R is resources and roadblocks. As a manager, you need to give people the resources they need to do their job and remove the roadblocks that stand in their way. And that's whether you're doing that for someone else or even if you're doing that for yourself. You need to think about, do I have what I need and what are the barriers and obstacles and how can I overcome them? For managers, what do you think the, at least now with the, the rules changing and you have all of these remote workers, people that are not used to working from home, not used to having to hold themselves accountable, right? Mixing spaces so that like now the space that they used to just associate in their mind with relaxation is now become the workspace, yeah. et cetera. What do you think of the, the majority of the roadblocks that you've seen well, there's a lot. I mean, one of them is, is no, you need to have your own on and off switch. Like it's very hard to do, right? Because otherwise we could find ourselves working 24 hours a day, especially parents who are maybe homeschooling their kids or dealing with their own pair, aging parents or whatever. So we're juggling. We used to talk about work-life balance, but there's no balance. It's work-life integration, right? Out of a 24-hour day, in an ideal world, you get eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, and eight hours of me time, right? But we know that doesn't always happen. And when you're working from home, you need to kind of be disciplined. And Jim Collins has a great quote from Good to Great where he says, don't discipline people, hire self-disciplined people, and then turn them loose within a framework of accountability. And I love that quote because you can't manage people you need to lead people, right? If someone's working from home, there's a concept by Peter Drucker, MBWA, managing by walking around. If you're in an office, you could stop by someone's desk and say, Josh, how's your day go? And then you can say, oh, it's all right. Or come on to my office. Let's talk. You can't do that when people are working from home, right? So nope. if you check in with people too often, they feel like you're micromanaging and babysitting. If you don't check in often enough, they may feel abandoned, demotivated, and checked out and disengaged. So it's very hard for managers now to figure out what to do. There's no one rule. There's no one-size-fits-all um, approach, but these are all things that managers and leaders, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about managers and leading as functions, not as people. We're not saying you're a manager, I'm a leader. 
we it's like two sides of a coin or a yin and yang. We both need to manage. There's a saying, you manage the process, you lead the people. So you manage processes like schedules and budgets and systems and processes. You lead yourself. You lead the human being. You, you lead the person. Was it, I'm trying to remember if it was you that told me the story about the company that sent all of their new remote workers and employees shoes yeah that was were me you, that was me I don't want to give, me that? yeah that was me i don't want to give away the color or the type because that's their own thing but this, okay. this, this company it was a former student and one of the things they did because we talk about culture right a company's culture when you walk into a company you feel the culture it's in the air right it's like decoration it's a, it's, it's the feeling what does culture mean when everyone's working from home, right? How do you create a culture? And one of the things they did is when they, to all their employees and new employees, they would tent, send them a pa- pair of sneakers in a certain color and certain brands. And when you're working, you put them on. And when you're not working, you take them off. So it's almost like your uniform, but it's cool and fun and hip. And you're like part of this in club. And I thought that was such an innovative way. Another client created those like bracelets, like those wristbands. So again, wear it when you're working, take it off. And you need something symbolic to say, all right, I'm off duty now. Right. Otherwise, you're never off duty. So that's what I would suggest to people. Find um, something symbolic that you could do. I was the keynote speaker a couple of months ago at the American Cancer Society. And one of their issues is their funding is way down because everyone's focused on COVID now. But cancer doesn't go away just because COVID is getting top billing. So their people were feeling like, you know, we still need to raise funds, but we feel disengaged. And I took the, I'm all, again, all, I'm all about visual thinking, visual leadership. I took the American Cancer Society flag logo and we dissected it and we looked at all the components of it. And then someone came up with the idea of what if we made up these little flags and everyone kept one by their desk. So every day they see that flag and they're reminded of the purpose, why I'm here. So even if you're just doing Excel spreadsheets or PowerPoint slides, you're saving lives. And that little flag on your desk reminds you of that. So um, Napoleon said is it's by symbols and baubles that, and ribbons that men are led and women, but we need to come up with visual symbols that represent who we are and what we do and remind people of why we do what we do and give them that sense of passion and purpose to keep them motivated and engaged. Because again, it's tougher than ever right now when you're working from home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, uh, and so with that Cancer Society example, the, the flags were for the donors like the people that contributed to the cancer No, for the employees, for the employees employees. to remind them of why we're doing this, right? It's it's kind of like a a visual symbol. constant reach out, like, you know, the constant grind of getting people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like we're saving lives here. It doesn't matter what your job is. We're saving lives, and we need to remember that because otherwise that's what keeps your energy up when times are tough and morale is down and you're feeling checked out or defeated. You know, everything you're doing is, is moving geared towards helping people and families, um, to get through a, a difficult situation in the world of, in the COVID world that we're in. Yeah. Well, that, do you feel like you'll, uh, you'll work that idea into your classroom at all? Like, uh, as far as the visual aspect of it like that? Yeah, everything I do in my class is visual. We use mental models. My four types of visual thinking and visual communication are using visual imagery and drawing. I have my students, I say, put away your laptops, get, you know, here, these are my colored markers. I always have my different colored Sharpies. So I said, get ready to draw, right? If I'm teaching a model, instead of, you know, just showing them a PowerPoint slide, draw a four box matrix, now label the size, now let's fill it in. And they're creating their own worksheet because there's four learning approaches. There's visual, auditory, reading and writing and kinesthetic. That's called Bark. It's a classic learning theory. So you want to engage people through all those senses. They want to see things, hear things, reading and writing, and also kinesthetic is through movement and doing. People learn through doing. So that's one of my keys to experiential learning, experiential teaching, is have people do something, right? And, that, and then they're going to be engaged and motivated, and they're not going to be on their phone or watching a Netflix movie while you're trying to teach them. So. And, and you don't mean like, you know, because there's some people that I've seen out there that say, all right, everybody get up and we're all going to stretch together kind of thing. It's, you know, is it like that or is it actually something, something that they're all doing, that they're all doing together, creating something through that movement? Yeah, there's no, there's right. There's, there's nothing wrong with that standing up and stretching or an Amy Cuddy. If you've ever seen her uh, Ted talk power pose, like get up and stretch and stand and be powerful. And um, I incorporate music. I have a different Spotify playlist for every topic I teach. So I have my change management mix featuring David Bowie's changes. And I have my time management mix and I have my visual leadership mix with, I can see clearly now and, and, uh, and, and, uh, what's the police song? Every breath you take, I'll be watching you. So whatever I teach, <laughs> 
I have a themed Spotify playlist. So my students, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, can you name that tune? You know, what's the theme of tonight? And here's the music. So incorporating music, art, humor is very big, right? If people are having fun, they're learning and they're more engaged. So um, yeah. and I'm not talking about telling jokes, like two people walked into a bar. I'm talking about Seinfeld type of observational humor. Sometimes people, a few people have said on evaluations, Todd's the Seinfeld of leadership training, which, I, which is <laughs> nice because I'm a big Seinfeld fan. But you know, if you make people smile and laugh, they're engaged, you're connecting with them. And one of my sayings is that team bonding needs to come before team building. We need to connect to each other if we want to work better with each other. And one of the ways to connect with each pe with people is by laughing together. And one of my icebreakers, not I'm giving away a lot of my secrets today. <laughs> but one of my icebreakers I use is, yeah, we're all from working at home, right? I'll say, take two minutes, get up and grab something in your room or your apartment, one thing that you're proud of and one thing that makes you smile or laugh and bring it back and show it to us. And it's great. And people, you, you learn about each other. First of all, you force people to get up and run around their room and do something within two minutes. So instead of just saying stand and stretch, but it's great because you learn, it's almost like two truths and a liar or whatever. It's like yeah, you right. learn something about someone and it's like, don't show me a picture of your kids. Everyone's proud of their kids or whatever. Show, show us something that no one else has seen or no one else would know about you and let's learn about each other. And then again, it bonds you and connects you and then you have some fun learning and working together. I dig that. That's a great idea. And you're right. Like uh, the picture with your kids, you're like, come on, man. Nobody wants to see you. We know you have kids. We know you have kids. We know that you're the, they're the cutest kids in the yeah, world. Yeah. Uh, here. So uh, Lyndon said, uh, this is awesome. Incorporating music into learning sounds like a super engaging method. You would know. I mean, uh, and the and and the type of music. Do these I, are these these kids know what half of that stuff is? Right. Well, it depends. I, I, I try to stay current, um, but I once my, I once said something and no one said anything. It was like really quiet. So it sounds like the sound of silence in here. I said, you know, does anyone know Simon and Garfunkel? They thought Simon and Garfunkel was like a law firm or a management consultant <laughs> firm. There was no name recognition. And I used to work for Michael Nesmith of the Monkees way back, one of my first jobs in the TV industry out in L.A. He had a music video production company. And, you know, baby boomers, as soon as you mentioned the Monkees and Michael Nesmith, it's like, wow, cool. Or even Gen Xers. A millennial, a lot of my students are international too. So a 25-year-old female HR student from Beijing is not going to know Michael Nesmith or the monkeys, right? So mm -hmm. you need to think about. So one of the things I talk about too is ask them, what's your equivalent of this, right? What music do you listen to? So um, again, make it a sharing thing. And one of the things I say to my students, if I didn't learn something from each of you tonight, then you did me a disservice. So it's not just learning from me. We should be learning from each other. And I want to leave learning things I didn't know before as well. Is that, is that, I would imagine that that tactic that you just described is how you keep up the energy, yeah. right? Because even, even us talking right now, like it's incredibly energetic. And I would imagine that doing that all day, you know, or a multiple times a week, it can be tough for some people yeah. to maintain that relative energy. But if you approach it in a sense that you are learning just as much from everybody as mm -hmm. they are learning from you, does that fuel you? Yeah, it's a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's the Socratic method, right? It's question and answer and response. As you can tell, I talk really fast because I'm from New York and I talk loud and fast. But as I say to my students who are surprised to hear this, I'm an extreme introvert. I always say I'm a three B's guy, a back of the room, behind the scenes bookworm, right? That's me. So everything I do from getting out of bed to talking to people is pushing myself out of my comfort zone every day, right? So one of the things that energizes people is you know bringing again your passion and purpose people know i care people know i love what i do and i think that comes through and what i'm talking about because what my claim to fame is i've had some of the worst bosses who have ever set foot on this planet when i worked in the <laughs> entertainment industry it sounds like there's a couple of stories yeah, there yeah. tons of them one of them my the favorite story it's in my book and i talk about it i was working at a tv network i won't say which one it has a c a b and an s in its name but i don't want to name it i was sitting at my desk typing up a memo and i felt something whip on my head and my boss threw a box of pens at my head because they were the wrong ones she wanted the medium point and these were the fine points or the other way around um it's just crazy. Un that, that's yeah. unacceptable, Todd. Yeah. That's that sounds unacceptable. like a scene from a movie, and I said that's right. a scene from my life. So, um, <laughs> but again, you know what's amazing? I've had so many horrible bosses and so many bad, miserable experiences where I would get depressed on a Friday night, just knowing I had to come in on Monday morning, right? So I ruined my weekend. But without those experiences, I wouldn't have learned and grown. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. My 
that forced me to study management leadership and say, there's got to be a better way that, to manage and lead people than through tyranny and abuse. And, you know, we all know the Harvey Weinstein story, but there's a lot of mini Harvey Weinsteins and Harriet Weinsteins as well. So it's not gender specific. And I've had many of those bosses, but I learned a lot how not to treat people, how not to manage and lead from being on the receiving end. But I'm not exaggerating when I say I went into that boss who threw the box of pens at me and I sat down with her because she was actually giving me a nervous breakdown. And I said, um, if we could work better together, communicate, we'd both be happier. And she said to me, and I quote, um, when I had your job, I was treated like, I'll say crap, uh, and now it's your turn. And if you don't like it, I can replace you tomorrow. So someone else, with a normal person would have said- Were you like, adios? No, unfortunately, my dream was to work in television. And here I was at a TV network. So I didn't want to leave. And I kept hoping things would be be- get better. And they, were- they didn't. Um, she would call me her boy. I'll send my boy over with a copy of the script. I'm six foot four, and I was a year younger than her, and she called me her boy. And uh, so it's like that abuse. But again, I learned a lot of lessons. It gave me a lot of stories for my book and for my classes and my workshops. And, you know, you move on, but and you move forward. Yeah. So, but you never forget. You know, you never forget how you felt when you were treated that horribly. Totally. I mean, I mean, and I feel like everybody has horror stories like that. Even yeah. like, so Perry, and I'll bring this up. Also, I am a long-functioning ADHD adult. Your way of teaching would be so perfect. I wish all managers understood <laughs> these skills, you know, because we've you. all got like our insane stories of managers. Yeah. Have you, I'm just curious, right? I've never asked you this, but the, with all of the studying that you have done with management and leadership, have you ever studied the method, like what people learned from Ernest Shackleton and, uh, and the, that sailor and like how, from what I understand, you know, that whole expedition down to Antarctica and the fact that he was successfully able to bring just everybody back. Yeah. And, and then they gleaned information about how his management style applied and helped everyone survive. And now I think his daughter or his like great granddaughter or something um, has turned it into an actual business management system. Wow. Do you know anything about that? I know the story. I don't know anything about that. But yeah, there's so many stories. Again, I said, as I said before that leadership of lessons are hiding in plain sight. One of the exercises I do in my class when we're live in person, I bring in that day's New York Times and I just give out sections, your arts and leisure, your sports, you're the front page, your business. And I say, see if you can find any articles that deal with leadership. And it's a trick question because every article deals with leadership, good or bad. If there's a person in it, there's some kind of decision that was made or some kind of human connection or something related to teams. So the leadership lessons are there. So the Shackleton story is great. Interestingly, one of my students this semester was the granddaughter of um, her last name is Tenzing. Norgay Tenzing was the, the Sherpa who was the who was on the very first Mount Everest uh, trip. And this is the granddaughter of this person. So I was like, wow, because that we use that example, climbing Mount Everest is a metaphor all the time. And here we have in our class, the granddaughter of the very first Sherpa. So it's just amazing. And like with Shackleton's daughter or granddaughter, um, yeah, keep it going. Keep, you know, find the leadership lessons um, and, and teach, teach and learn and, and share your story. People learn through storytelling. So that's how culture is passed down. You know, storytelling existed before the, the uh, written language, right? So that's how, you know, children, if you say to someone, how was work today? And you say, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. That's a story. And a lot of people say, yeah. oh, I'm not a good storyteller. I was doing a workshop on leadership storytelling for a group of 20 CEOs. And one guy said, oh, I hate storytelling. I'm really bad at it. I said, why do you say that? And he went on to tell this great story about how bad he was at storytelling. So, <laughs> you know, so we all, stories are just who we are. It's how we communicate. So don't ever think of yourself as a, oh, label yourself as a bad storyteller. If you share something that you learn with someone and we can learn from it, you're a great storyteller. Well, and if that's the case and being a great storyteller and passing on lessons through a story makes you a great leader, it works ex- the exact same way when you tell stories to yourself. Like, yeah. cause we talked a little bit earlier before the show about, about yes, a lot of what you're talking about applies to people managing other people, but it also really applies to managing and leading yourself. Yeah. And you tell yourself stories just like you would tell other people's stories. And those have an effect on how you behave in the world. Yeah, you could talk about success stories. You could talk about failure stories, right? If you tell someone a cautionary tale, this is where I went wrong, or tell yourself, right? I don't want to repeat that. Here's one of my biggest tips. We always, I know you're, you like tips. Listeners like tips. Keep a journal. 
you know, write things down every single day, write down questions, answers, feelings, ideas. And it's interesting. And I want to pull back the curtain reveal. I don't have it right in front of me and I'm wearing a headset so I can't run and get it. I started keeping a journal every single day, my freshman year of college. And I won't, I won't say what year that was. And I have not missed a day since. I literally, every year I get an annual day planner and I will reveal it. I'm on year 40. So that gives away. I was a freshman in September of 1980. Um, in college, and I have not missed a day of writing in my journal since. Even if it was just like nothing today, didn't like that's how I close out my day. I write in the journal what I did and anything that happened or anything I'm thinking about. Forty so, years, yeah, forty years every single day, dude. Every that is day. that is seriously impressive, man. And also, well, in writing my book, it helped me write the book because a lot of times I think, oh, what year was that, or what was the name of that boss, or yeah. I, or you. And as soon as you look it up, as soon as you see it. And you can keep a journal, uh, you know, typewritten or on your phone, but there's something kinesthetic about writing something by hand. It's just, and also if you include doodles and, and sketches or, you know, movies, ticket stubs or whatever, it's like, that's your life. It's like, you know, capture it and, and look, you know, it's good too. As you get older like me, you start to lose your memory and say, what year did I see flash dance and who did I see that with? Or how many times did I see dirty dancing? And, you know, it solves a lot of disputes when I can pull out my journal and say, see, we went to this restaurant. We saw it at this theater. And uh, so it's fun. It's good. Uh, it's good memory technique as well. So do you? You must. Do you have a stack of like composition notebooks? Is that where you do them? They're in? all the same. They're all they're the at a glance day planners. And uh, so I have two cal- calendars I keep. One is looking forward. Here's what's on my schedule. What's on my agenda. And then the journal is how I felt about it. What happened? The after effect. Like you know. This would be like, oh, have a job interview. This is like, I didn't get the job, and the and the person who interviewed me was a jerk. And this is, you know, so those are like the facts and feelings, and the other ones more stats and you know, and, and uh, the information. Um, but it's you know, it's something that's worked for me, and it takes discipline yeah. to do it. And uh, but it's you know, it's a it's a habit that I've I've continued. I didn't intend forty years ago to keep doing this. I just figured, oh, I'll start writing some stuff down and. Someone mentioned ADHD. Just, One of the benefits like of having OCD is like once you get hooked on something, you just keep it going, right? You, yeah. you know, I got obsessed with keeping this journal, and I haven't missed a day in 40 years. It's just like Forrest Gump, you know? It's like <laughs> I just ran to, I ran to the state <laughs> line, and then I ran all the way to – and then I just kept going. You just keep going. You just start, and you just – and unlike with your app, right, with people using it, once you start using it, you get hooked on it, and you see the benefits, you just keep going. So – the difference between zero and one and one and two or one and 100 might as well be the size of the Grand Canyon, right? Not doing something to doing something is the biggest step. Once you, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? That's the old Confucian saying. So that's the key thing. Push yourself to start doing something and little by little, it'll be, become like the flywheel effect. You get the momentum going and then you can't even think of not doing it anymore, yeah. right? That's with a lot of habits. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, as you're talking about that, I mean, cause you brought up like the fire builders, like the idea is to just have people do one thing per day, yeah. but that's not to suggest that they only do one thing per day. It's really to suggest that by focusing on one single thing, it eliminates the tendency in the morning to hesitate to not know yeah. what you want to do and then just really not do anything. So that's the, that's the secret. And by the way, let me pull this up for you. Perian says, your energy is so <laughs> infectious. I am loving this show. Once you. you know what's interesting about my New York energy, it doesn't always apply to everyone. I was once doing a workshop in Minnesota and this woman raised her hand and said, excuse me, Todd, can I ask you a favor, honey? Um, can you slow it down a little bit? You're exhausting me. You're stressing me out and you're giving me a headache. So she actually said that to me in the middle of one of my workshops. So I said, I'll try. I'll do my best. But uh, once you get, once you get started talking, I'm really excited about what I do. So it just comes out. Well, I tell you, like, uh, I'm curious because I like to ask people on this show, right? And I think you've touched on it, but I'm curious as to whether or not this would be the thing that you would suggest, right? As people begin to not only become better leaders for remote workers, but also for themselves, understand yeah. that you know that we're in this, we're all in this together. It's all new. We're all trying to figure shit out. You know, what what would you suggest that they do if you had to prioritize it now? One thing that they could do every day. Yeah, one of the things I talk about again, I'm all about visual thinking, visual communication, Shakespeare coined the term to see something in your mind's eye. I I majored in, people always think I majored in business, like I have an MBA. I majored in in English literature with a concentration in Shakespeare and poetry. And my father once said to me, poetry, what do you do? Just sit under a tree and rhyme all day? It's like, how are we going to make a living as as a poet? But I incorporate a lot of what I, my studies of Shakespeare, poetry, English literature into my work, right? It's storytelling, it's character, it's overcoming obstacles, right? So 
in terms of visual thinking, think of yourself as the lead character in your own movie, right? You are the star of your own film, right? And you have all these secondary characters, you have people you have conflict with, your love interests you have, right? So think about your movie, you know, I would say create a mental movie of your life in your head, visualize your day, how do you want it to unfold at the beginning of the day and at the end, play it back, play back the tape and say, did the day go, you know, you have this, you know, today, oh, you want another tip? Every day I take my calendar and I write it on a little blue index card. This is my blue index card for today. So you can see Wednesday, okay. I woke up at 1030 today because I didn't go to bed until five in the morning. Here's my Josh, uh, you know, live podcast. I have a meeting. I have another podcast and then I have another meeting and I do this every single day. So when I wake up in the morning, this is the first thing I see. I tape it to my phone. So my phone right next to my nightstand. So I wake up and it's taped to my phone. And I, you know, when you wake up and you're groggy, and it's like, what am I doing today? Your alarm goes off. I, first of all, the act of writing this index card the night before I go to sleep solidifies it in my mind. So I play out how my next day is going to unfold in my mind. And then at the end of the day is when I write in the journal, you know, did my Josh podcast and had these meetings and blah, blah, blah. So that's my tip is use your mental movie model and plan your day and reflect back on your day. I always call it interest reflection introspection and connection reflection reflection is look at yourself in the mirror um and and think about you know how you're coming across to the world introspection is look inward uh, your heart your feelings your thoughts what, what are you experiencing and connection is connect that to the outside world connect that to the future um so reflection introspection and connection are like one of my mantras of of visual leadership and thinking about yourself as the lead in your own movies that's my one thing is to use your mental powers to make your visions a reality dude i love that i love the fact that you tape it to your phone too this is iphone 12 right so it's like high tech like no tech, like literally the lowest tech there is, right? And the fact that I so I stack up, I stock up on these blue index cards. So I know when I grab it, when my wife will say, What's your plan for today? I say, Did you read my blue index card? If you, you look, know, you there. know where it is. It's on the card, honey. Uh does the uh does the red circles mean anything? Like do you color code those or what? what yeah, it just it? it just highlights. So like if something's not red cut, so that's a, sp- a specific time. If it's circled in red, it's like that's locked in. But like lunch could happen at any time or taking a break or exercising. I write those in black. So it's like I want to make sure I fill those in. Because if you you know, there's a saying that which could be done at any time will most likely be done at no time. So if it's not written down, I may not do it. But if I put down eating meals or exercising, I'll get to it somewhere in the slots, but the red things are the ones that are blocked in at a specific time slot. That's cool. I've never heard that quote, that can be done anytime, will most likely not get done yeah. in any time. Right? And Oscar so, Wilde said, uh, never put off till tomorrow what you could put off till the day after tomorrow. So that's like the opposite approach of the Oscar Wilde mantra. Well, uh, well, if somebody, so let's say that they, they take your advice, they get a bunch of note cards, right? Yeah. They start writing this stuff down. I'm curious because if they've never done it before and they start doing this in your experience, because I love the fact that you did this and you, you probably just like everything, like you didn't, you didn't set out to say, yep, I'm going to get blue note cards. I'm going to write everything down. It's right. It was just a process through experimenting with different things and it just clicked. You found click work, talk to the work. Um, Somebody starts to do that and they start to figure it out for themselves, but they did it consistently over the next 30 days. What do you think would happen to them? Yeah, you could be much more productive, effective, successful. You're going to look back after those 30 days and say, hey, I made progress. And here's a real life example of this. Um, One of the other things I say, I take my index card, I hold it when I'm doing my journal and writing my journal. And at the end of the day, I rip up the index card and I throw it out. So that's like my symbolic boom days. It's in the books, right? It's in the history books. So there's closure. There's closure to the day. Yeah, that ripping of the car is like, I'm done. Like celebrate. It's like at the end of the Academy Awards or whatever. It's like you have the envelope. But here's a real life example of the 30 day thing. Um, Pulling back the curtain, honestly, like three years ago, I had gained a lot of weight over the years, not exercising. I used to be able to eat a whole pizza and like a whole, you know, pint of haagen and and not gain an ounce but then as you get older your metabolism slows down so i was outgrowing my pants and my belts i had some not great blood tests in terms of my sugar and stuff like that and my wife said to me let's try something for 30 days let's just do a 30-day challenge exercise let's change your diet so i made you know some small modifications so instead of having like three slices of pizza and a salad i would have a big salad and one slice of pizza right so just shift the proportions after 30 days this was three years ago i lost 10 pounds 
I went from 236 to 226. I was so motivated by that. I went another 30 days. I lost 10 more pounds. And another 30 days, I lost 10 more pounds. So I ended up losing 36 pounds. I went down from 236 to 200. And I needed to get new clothes because my clothes were now too big on me. I have a picture of myself in my fat shirt. And I have a picture of myself with my wife in the shirt with me. Like, that's how much weight. <laughs> and I, didn't, I wasn't like fat, but I was like all in my stomach, right? And But I literally exercised every single day. And I wrote it down. And I checked it off. And I actually have a sheet that I use. I log all meals. And Peter Drucker said, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So that's yep. the key. Write things down. Document. Use your app, right? When you document things, it holds yourself accountable. And you do these things. And I'm proud to say... It's now three years later, and I'm within five pounds of the 30. So I still, if someone said, how much weight did you lose? I lost 36. I put back on maybe five, but still, that's not so bad for someone, you know, and it takes just fantastic, man. It's absolutely fantastic. Like, uh, um, and you're right, like setting what gets measured gets managed. You put it down, you write it down in whatever form that you need to, but you need to get that out so that you can keep track of it. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say I love it. Go ahead. No, I was going to say one other thing. There are going to be setbacks, right? You're going to have that gigantic piece of Linda's fudge cake from Cheesecake Factory or whatever, right? You're going to slip or just have a party or whatever. Don't give up just because you slip. Just start again the next day because that's we, no, we, none of us are perfect. And a lot of times we get defeated. Even if you had a bad week or you ate too much or you skipped a few days of working out because whatever, just get back on it, right? So you, you're going to slip. You're going to gain some weight. You're going to slip a little bit. But don't be so hard on yourself. Like all of these goals we set in uh, Dodgeball, Vince Vaughn says, um, if you set a goal – it's great if you, if you, I'm paraphrasing, like it's great if you make it, but if you set a goal and you don't make it, it feels, you feel defeated. He said, so I don't set any goals and it feels phenomenal. So that's right. the extreme. That's the other extreme. Don't not set any goals. Don't do that. And I'm very don't big on smart that. goals. For those who don't know smart goals, when you set a goal, it needs to be specific, measurable, achievable. Cause if it, if it, I hear Elvis in the background. Elvis agrees. Smart yeah. goals. Yeah. That rooster. So if it's not achievable, if it's too lofty, you feel defeated. If it's too easy, you give up or you just coast. It needs to be relevant. It got, it has to matter. There's got to be a reason for it and it's got to be time focused. You got to put some deadlines and milestones in there because otherwise you'll just get around to it eventually and you don't. So set smart goals, hold yourself accountable. But again, if you slip, don't be so hard on yourself. These are really tough times. And if you have an accountability partner, like my wife was there along with me. So that really helped. Pair, you know, make, do a 30-day challenge together with someone else, right? And talk about it, hold each other accountable because it's hard to do a lot of these things alone. So um, those are some other tips as well. I love it, man. I love it. I'm curious. Well, you know, what I think makes you such a great leader, especially with your students and, and uh, how you're teaching leadership, is that you're, you're living – your living example of all of this, yeah. like it would be a different story if you were just an academic that, yeah. that regurgitated this from books that you read, but never ever applied it to your own life. You're doing it. Yeah. You're doing it. You're showing people and you're leading by example. You, you've got the courage to do it. And people, dude, people take note of that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The only book I'm regurgitating from is my own book that I just wrote. And that was like, <laughs> you know, this, this is a good lesson too, right? I had been working on my book for years. Every time I got an idea, I would, I, I put it out on blog posts and I had 2000 pages of like notes and ideas and sketches and drawings. And a friend of mine, Brian Mattimore, who's a, who's one of the ideation innovation gurus out there. He's written, written a number of books on brains, you know, on idea storming and 21 days to a big idea. One of the things he said to me, he said, until you have a deadline, you're never going to get this book written. And he was right. I, I, I went to a, uh, a conference. I met a guy named Rob Salafia who wrote another great book called Leading from Your Best Self. He introduced me to his agent. His agent got me a book deal. And then I had a nine, mo- nine months to deliver my first manuscript. So it wasn't like a one of these days if or when I write my book. It's literally like, hey, dude, you have nine months and this publisher is expecting a first, a finished first draft. It's done. So that's what, so I locked myself away in my office for the whole summer of 2019. So I had no summer, no daylight. But I got it done. It got to actually physically hold this in my hand. It's like surreal. Like, cause after so many years of talking about it and thinking about it to physically be holding it and having people review it on Amazon and talking about it on podcasts like this, it's amazing. So, but anyone can do it if you put your mind to it and set a goal. And again, don't feel like you have to do it together. Find other people, surround yourself with other people and support each other and urge each other on because it's, it's tough to, to do it solo. Yeah. It, it certainly is. Dude, this, this has been such a cool conversation, Todd. <laughs> Seriously, man. Like, uh, I, I love you. You're, Perian's right. Like, uh, the energy is just infectious, man. Thanks. I, uh, 
I'm sure that there are people out there listening right now that want to figure out how they can connect with you, how they can continue the conversation with you. I mean, how they can just like, like drop into one of your classes, I don't know, like whatever, bomb in uh, and crash a class. I mean, so, so where, where should they go? How do they do it? Well, a few things. Go to my brand new website just launched a couple of months ago is toddchurches.com. My company is called Big Blue Gumball. I still have my company website for management leadership training, but toddchurches.com is about me, my book, and my public speaking. And if you go there, you can see the link to my TED Talk. It's right on the front page. It's on the power of visual thinking. So if you go to toddchurches.com slash subscribe, you can subscribe to my newsletter and download my list of my top 52, which is one a week, works out to one a week. Um, uh, books on visual leader on thinking and being a more visual leader. Uh, feel free to link in with me and then check out my book on on Amazon as well. The uh, the link to that the fifty two it was the fifty two book recommendations right? right like the best book recommendations that's a that's that's the link that's in the show notes. So if you're listening to this in the podcast notes and if you're watching this, it is in the description. Um, I encourage everybody to seriously pick up check out Todd's book reviewed on Amazon. The guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Seriously, man, you, you're you just like a ball of energy when it comes to leadership, talking about this stuff. I love having you on the show, man. Thanks, Josh. I love talking to you because you're, you know, it's a, well, I've been on about 35 or 40 podcasts since my book came out. And a lot of them are like, question number two, tell us about this. <laughs> like, with you, it's just a conversation between friends talking about life and, and work and, and, you know, we're all struggling to be successful. My revenues this year because of the pandemic are down. I don't want to say how much, but a lot compared to the year before. And we're all just trying to make it through this thing. And, and again, we're doing it together through, you know, Mike Roderick's The Gate Group. We met, I met you through that. And just yep. you know, through social media and LinkedIn and Facebook, let's stay connected, help each other out and cheer each other on. And I uh, appreciate you doing that for me. And I love talking to you all the time. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I, uh, I have to ask you this because Perian has asked this twice and I'm not sure what the hell she's talking about, but maybe you'll get it. How do you pronounce screwdriver in Chinese? <laughs> that is a reference to both a chapter in my book and my TEDx talk is long story short. I'll just do a teaser. You have to watch my TEDx talk to hear it. But I was thrown into a job where I had to manage a theme park production, theme park installation, product installation in China. And no one there spoke any English, including the translator. I spoke no chan- uh, Chinese. So the only way to communicate, I needed a screwdriver, a hammer, or a nail, was I had to draw it out. So I picked up a pen and I started sketching. And that's where the light bulb went off in terms of my visual thinking approach, is that we communicate not just through spoken word, but through pictures and images and drawing. So that's the, so thank you, Perian, for mentioning that. But that's like the, the punchline is, you know, if you can't pronounce screwdriver in Chinese, draw a picture of a screwdriver and show it to someone <laughs> and say, this is what I need. So that's why a picture's worth a thousand words. So thanks for asking about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I can 100% relate to that because being an exchange student down in South America when I was 16, knowing no Spanish at all for months and months, you, you, I had to carry around a dictionary and a little notebook with a pen yeah. because that's the only way that you could communicate with people, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also people, music too. I know you're a guitar player, right? You're a musician, right? So music, yeah. use all the senses, right? Use your, use your visual senses and, you know, it, you know, music, you know, music is the food of love as Shakespeare said in, uh, in 12th night in the opening line, right? So, you know, incorporate music into what you do, incorporate visual imagery and drawing, make it fun. When people, my three E's are educate, engage and excite. Educate is what do you want people to know and to learn. Engage is how are you going to capture and hold their attention. And excite is how are you going to inspire them to go out into the world and do something differently. So yep. hopefully today we educated, engaged, and excited the Fire Builders audience. That's the name of the game, man. I feel <laughs> that's also what kind of separates this show from other podcasters yeah. as well is that uh, I really do try to make it as entertaining as possible and off the cuff, yeah. like, you know, um, so, uh, so dude, yeah, we went, we went in all different directions that we weren't even planning on. And it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like we wrote back around, we, you know, we make our like way right back to where we started. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about, I feel the experience and, and helping people just sort of like, it doesn't all have to be, this stuff doesn't have to be as hard as you make it. Like it can be fun. It can be entertaining and it can just take little micro steps every single day. Just like you're journaling, man. This has been so good. So once again, I just want to say, man, I've had a great time. Thank you so much for including me on your blue card. 
Thank you. You are, yeah, you always have a place. In fact, maybe I won't throw this one out. I'll, st- I'll tape it into my journal as a lifelong reminder of, our, of this great conversation. Oh, one thing I did want to mention is if people subscribe to my newsletter on my website, I will be launching some master classes and some workshops in 2021 that are going to be open to the public. So a lot of the things I do are just for my NYU or Columbia students or my corporate clients, but I'm going to do a number of visual leadership workshops. So that way they can you know, read the book or not, and then show up and we'll talk about all these things in, in my uh, webinars coming up in 2021. Okay, excellent. We'll keep us posted on that. And, uh, and honestly, Todd, thanks again, man. This has been so good. Uh, so guys, Todd, Josh, Elvis, we're signing off another <laughs> wonderful episode of Fire Builders Live. Once again, we stream live Monday through Saturday, six awesome people per week. Seriously, I, Todd, I don't know how. I, you know what? Actually, who am I to talk? Like, I'm doing it six days a week. You've written in your journal for the last 40 years. <laughs> night. Like, I got a long ways to yeah, go. You're, you're six days a week. That's discipline to actually do it. Like you said, if you – Jeff Schwartzman quote, if, he didn't make it up. But if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Not that we're not working hard, but if you enjoy it and you have a passion and a sense of purpose, it's fun. Man. Like, you get to talk to all these amazing people on your show, and I always enjoy watching it. And it takes discipline to do that. So, uh, so I attribute to you for Thank you know rocking fire, and also your graphics this season, and really you know slicking it up. You know, you think? It you think it's, level. it's really a step. Cool. It's a step up a little bit. Huge, huge. So it's very cool, and uh, yeah, you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. So uh, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. And, really and you bring and leaders bring out the best in other people, and you really do bring out the best in other people in your interviews. So that's really a tribute to your your style and approach, and uh, you're really skilled at, at doing this thing. And I'm sure you know you never envisioned doing this right a year or two or five no, ago. No way. I yeah. the, this was like when I started this in April. There was no. I never thought of myself as like a host of any yeah. kind. Like never done this really before. Um, but uh, but through little by little, I found you're right. Like I doesn't feel like work. Yeah. I I don't feel tired afterwards. I'm more energized yeah. about the whole thing. Yeah. Right. So. Well, uh, yeah. One of my one of my mantra, one of my metaphors I use in the book is what's your leadership weather report? Are you a cloud of doom and gloom or are you a ray of sunshine who lights up the room? Right. There's some people they walk in, it's like death throws over and it's like you're you're a boss and you walk in, everyone's like hunkered down. And there's other people who walk into the room and everyone's like energized and the party started, right? So are you an energy, you know, adder or an energy sucker, right? Like do you drain the energy in the room or do you add to it? I think, you know, think for yourself, how do you energize other people? That's what being a leader is all about. And it's not about title, position. It's just about being who you are and bringing yourself to the table and helping draw out the best in other people. And you do a great job of that. Thanks, man. And damn straight. I totally agree. And likewise, I think you do the exact same thing. I think you definitely showed people today uh, just how much like, like how to do it, how to do it right, how to lead by example. I really appreciate it, man. That's it. Todd, thanks thanks again for being here. It's been so much fun. My pleasure. Thanks, Josh. All right, guys. Well, this is Todd. This is Josh. This is Elvis signing off another episode. Thanks, guys. Join us again another time for another episode. Todd, adios. Thanks, Josh.